A reading from the book of Galatians, chapters 3 and 4. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. Uh, it's great to be here again with you and to worship God with you and to open the Bible together with you. And if you were here last week, you'll remember how our passage touched on uh, what we said was one of the most important questions that every thoughtful person has to think about. This question we asked of what's wrong with the world. And you'll remember that we looked together at what Christians call the gospel, this idea of what's been done for us and the person of Jesus Christ. And, and you'll remember that we said the Bible actually says that that problem begins with us. That the heart of the human problem, we said, is the problem of the human heart. Our rejection of God, what the Bible calls sin. Well, our passage this morning is going to take us to another one of the most important questions that anyone could ask in life. And, and in reality, it's a question that, if we're honest, all of us here are answering every day. We're answering it ourselves. We're looking to answer it uh, by looking to the people around us. And that's this. Who am I? Who am I? What does it mean to be me? Now, I recognize that nobody really walks around thinking about that. No one really says that out loud uh, consciously unless you happen to be a, a philosophy major in college right now. But it's a question that we're answering or we're asking all the time, isn't it? You know, may, maybe just in the things that we buy, maybe in the kind of clothes that we wear or the, or the kind of car uh, that we choose to buy, the, the statement that these things make about us. Or, you know, think about uh, the use of social media. You know, isn't it true that one of the main reasons uh, that we use things like, like Instagram and Twitter, and, and Facebook, if you use any of those things, is, is really answering this question in a sense, isn't it? Who am I? To tell people who we are. And we have this, this new unique moment in history because of technology where we actually get to have a much greater role 
and shaping how other people perceive us. And, and so we post pictures of, of maybe what we did over the weekend, as if, you know, the whole world really needed to know that I retiled my bathroom floor on my own. You know, now, it's very possible. We might have actually been really excited about that. Maybe you really enjoy tiling bathroom floors. Or it's very possible we just wanted to, to look, put on the internet and say, look, look at me. Look at what I can do. You know, think about the way that we, we broadcast our uh, achievements, you know, the things that we've uh, accomplished. You know, maybe we go on and we post, if we've done so, so thankful to be done with med school. Now, again, we, we really probably were thankful to be done with med school. It's probably been a, a long road. But we might actually just want to wanted to prove ourselves to our friends in high school, especially those people that might have doubted us, to tell them, look, look I actually made it in life. You know, you might have doubted me. I might not have been in, in your crowd, the cool crowd, but look at me now. I'm a doctor. You know, so many things that we do, uh, the things that we buy, the way that we choose to, to decorate our office, what we put on the, the walls, where we might hope to go to college if we're in high school, maybe where we hope our kids are going to go to college. You know, we're conscious with all these things, we, we do care about them for their own sake, but isn't there also a, a dimension to which we understand these things make statements about us? They have a role in influencing how other people see us. Who am I? If you have been here for the last couple of weeks, you know that we're in this sermon series called Gospel Driven, and we've been looking together at some of the greatest statements about the gospel in Paul's letters. In our passage this morning, we, we come across what some people, believe it or not, are actually going to argue is the most important thing that you could know about the gospel. That this question that we're all asking and answering, who am I? This is a question that Christians aren't responsible for answering. We don't have to get caught up in, in the daily uh, the competition, the rat race of proving ourselves all the time. And, and the reason that we don't is because, as Paul's going to show us, we've been told exactly who we are. As Christians, we don't define our identity. Our identity has been defined for us. We're in Christ. We're adopted children of God. Paul's main point in Galatians this morning is that anyone who identifies himself as a Christian or as he puts it, anyone who is in Christ has actually become an adopted daughter, an adopted son of God. God's adopted us, this passage is going to show us, as his child. And, and some, people, some people would even go so far as to say that this is the most important thing that you can know about yourself if you identify yourself as a Christian. And if you're here this morning and, and you do you are a Christian and, and you have experienced that, you know personally that it has the power to transform you. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you're, you're not a Christian, you're just seeking to learn about this person, Jesus. Or maybe you have been a Christian for many years, but you just haven't been able to get your, your mind around this idea. If, 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 any, if you're either of those two people, you need to know you're missing out on what might be the most important thing that you can know about the God of Christianity. That he relates to Christians as a father does his child. 
So that's where we're going this morning. We're thinking about Paul's claim uh, from Galatians, and we're going to look at it through the lens of this summary statement that has two parts. First, in Christ. Second, we're adopted children. In Christ, we're adopted children. And so first, in Christ. When we look together at our our passage this morning, we're going to see one of the most important things that we can know about the gospel is what it means to be in Christ or of Christ, as our passage says. And and remember what's going on in our passage today. Paul's writing to a a group of Christians and he's he's reminding them about their relationship with God, specifically what's happened through faith, Uh, what their relationship with God was like before they had this encounter with faith, before faith came, and then what's happened since then. And now, keep that in mind as we look together for this, um, this in Christ and this of Christ kind of phraseology in our passage today. Could we put that up, please? Okay, look at our passage here. Look at all these prepositional phrases in our passage about Jesus. See it over and over again. In Christ Jesus, into Christ. Uh, it says put on Christ. Again in 28, in Christ. And then if you look at the bottom where it says, and if you are Christ, the, the, the Greek there, it's just, it's possessive. It literally means if you are of Christ. Okay, so think about all these phrases that Paul's hitting home. And we could ask, what's going on there? You know, first we could ask, what do those things actually mean? You know, we, that's not a way that we normally talk about people, is it? When we relate to them. Here's what you need to know. When, when Paul uses this, this in Christ language, he's referring to the idea of our actually being united to him through faith. So being identified and being associated with him by virtue of our belief in him. Paul says that's actually what our belief in him does. And that's, that's really important. Because when the Bible ever talks about our relationship with God, it, it only talks about that relationship in regards to our having some kind of proximity to the person of Jesus. It never talks about us relating to God without somehow Jesus being in, involved with that. So our relationship with God is contingent, Paul says, on our being in Christ. And if we're not, we, we have no part with him, according to the Bible. Now, now, what exactly does that look like? What do we mean? I have a friend that's named Ken. He, I know him through the Falls Church Anglican. As many of you know, the, the church that helped uh, start Christ Church Vienna here. Ken was appointed as the, the deputy advisor for Homeland Security to George Bush. And one night many years ago, Ken very graciously invited some friends of mine and myself uh, to the White House, to the West Wing, to see where his office was so that we could have uh, a private tour of the West Wing. Now, the truth was that I had no reason to be there. I didn't belong there. You know, I, I didn't have any business with the president that evening. How was it that I was there? I was there exclusively by virtue of my relationship with Ken. 
I was, I was with Ken, you could say. You know, you, you could almost say in a way, I, I was of him. I was Ken's because I was his guest that night. And outside of uh, being there with him, I had no right to be there that night. But because I was with him, I was welcome there. Uh, And I can also tell you that while I was there that night, I had no identity outside the person of Ken, outside of being with Ken. As far as other people were, were concerned in the West Wing, there was no me. There was no Brian White outside of my relationship with him. And for that evening, I was defined primarily by my relationship with him. And what Paul is saying here is that there's something very similar going on when he talks about us being in Christ as followers of Jesus. When we become a Christian, he says, the Bible says, we're united with him, as we said, through faith. And he now gives us our primary sense of identity. We're his, as we saw. We're of him. We're in him. And it's by, by virtue of being connected to him that way, be, being baptized in him, being united to him, in him, that we're actually welcome into the presence of a holy God. And most importantly, there's no part of us outside of him that's fit for being in God's presence. We're either in Christ, Paul says, or we're not. And, and why this matters, if you're sitting here wondering, okay, what's, what, what's so important about that? What this means is that when we become a Christian, when we, identi- when we identify ourselves with Jesus as the Son of God, when we express uh, our desire to believe in him, to, his, to embrace his teachings, and, and to follow him, the things that we once thought defined us are now simply a part of us. So yeah, it's true. Th- those things still matter, but they're not our primary sense of our identity. They're not the most important part of who we are. All those things that we had before where we found our value, those things have been overshadowed by our identity in Jesus. And so we're not, for example, uh, defined primarily by our vocation. We're not a teacher first. We're not a a management consultant first. We're not maybe a a stay-at-home mom first. We're we're not a pastor first first. I think it's hard for people like Johnny and Corky and myself to remember that. We're not those things first. First and foremost, we're Christians. We're in Christ. And we're not defined by our performance. We're not primarily someone that went to college at an Ivy League school. Or we're not primarily someone who never went to college. First and foremost, we're Christian. We're in Christ, according to Paul. It's what it means to be a Christian. We're in him. So that's our first point this morning. And, and now, seeing that we've been united in him, th- that means, Paul goes on to say, several things have happened. You know, obviously it means we've been forgiven of our sin. Uh, we've been redeemed. But then Paul's going to go just one step further. Because not only does it mean that we've been freed from our judgment, as incredible as that is, but it also means something far more personal 
and far more intimate. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of God. And that takes us to our second point this morning. We're adopted children. You know, as we continue thinking this morning about this question of who am I? Paul says that we're not just, not only in Christ, but part of what it means to be in him involves actually becoming adopted as children of God. And did you notice that in our uh, passage this morning as you heard it's read so well? It's filled with what we might call sonship language. This idea that even though we used to be opposed to God, now, because of what's happened through Christ and being in Christ, he's actually taken us, those who have trusted in him, and he's made us his sons and his daughters. So look, would you look with me uh, up at our slide here? Earlier in verse 26, he, Paul's talking about Christians, and I'm sorry that the, the verses aren't there. That's my mistake. But he says, For in Christ Jesus, just listen if this helps, you are all sons of God through faith. Uh, towards the bottom there, that verse 29, it, it refers to us as followers of him as being Abraham's offspring. It's touching on this Old Testament idea of, of being grafted into the family of God. And in fact, the, the word adoption, I don't know if you noticed, it was actually used in our passage. Could we go to the next slide, these verses later in Galatians 4? Uh, notice that it says towards the bottom, why did God send Jesus? Why did he send his son? He sent him to redeem those who were under the law so that, for, for the purpose of, that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't that amazing? Look at verse 6. It goes on. And because you're sons, it says, he's, he's given us the spirit. Verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Did you notice that in our confession just moments ago, it said that we are heirs now. Again and again, Paul's saying, what it means to be in Christ involves this mysterious in this incredible experience of actually being adopted into God's family. We're part of it now. Now, it, it'd be really natural if there's at least a couple of you here thinking, okay, so, so I hear that, but I, don't, I really don't get what's the big deal about that. So God's, uh, Paul said that we're all children of God, but like, isn't that kind of what everybody believes? Like, don't, wouldn't we all in some way say that we're all God's children? And it's true, isn't it? We, we hear that kind of language all the time, don't we? Especially uh, when you hear people having different kinds of religious conversations. And, and there's good things going on in this statement, you know, emphases upon things like human dignity. But what might surprise a lot of us in here is that while, while there are a lot of perhaps uh, religious traditions or worldviews that would be able to affirm that kind of statement, this idea that we're all children of God actually isn't a part of Christianity. Like that, that's not in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it assume that we're sons of God or daughters of God simply by virtue of being born. That's why the New Testament uses this language of there being another birth. There's got to be some other kind of birth. It can't just be a physical birth, the New Testament says. Would you put the verse that we had from John's gospel? This is beginning at the gospel of John. Notice. But to all who did receive him, 
who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So in other words, it's not through biology that we become part of God's family. It's through belief. And even though not, not everyone's a child of God, this is what's so amazing. Anyone can be. And so not being able to affirm this statement that everyone's a child of God, that's not exclusive. Because this right, this right we were just talking about up there, anybody can have it. All they have to do, John says, and Paul would affirm, is believe. Now, you might be there and you might be thinking, okay, child of God, uh, daughter, son, I hear it, and uh, maybe I, I get it, but like, really? Like, what, what do you want me to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? It's cute. You know, it's kind of nice, maybe, but it's, it's a little too kind of uh, touched by an angel for me. It's a little touch, touchy-feely. You know, how, how's that really going to make a difference for me? And, and it would be really tempting, isn't, wouldn't it be, for most of us to just kind of dismiss it like something that we read in a, a book that, uh, to our kids in Sunday school. Everyone uh, being children of God. And it is hard, isn't it, when we think about our own everyday lives here in, in the Washington area or here in Vienna, and we're, we're trying to get our minds around, what does this actually mean? Like, how, how, why should that make a difference for me? But listen to this. Here's where our passage this morning exposes a dangerous possibility for us as Christians. And this is so important. If we're here this morning as a Christian, and, and if we don't think of ourselves as primarily, first and foremost, a child of God, as a, as a loved son, as a loved daughter, our understanding of God is radically at odds with the understanding of the New Testament. Here's another way of putting that. And I, I want to be careful here uh, because this is where if I'm not careful, I could accidentally say something heretical that I don't mean to. And Johnny will let me know later if I do. So follow me. When you think about the God of the Bible, if you think about him exclusively in terms of his holiness or exclusively in terms of the forgiveness of sins, but without thinking about him as a father, as a father who loves you, as a father who adores you, you don't have a full appreciation, a full understanding of the God of the Bible. You just might not be worshiping the God of the Bible. You, you might be worshiping another God. Now, why would we take the time to point that out? Why does that matter so much? Why is it such a big deal? That matters because there are some of us here this morning that, and, and I think this applied personally to me most of my life, we have a great understanding of what it means to be forgiven by God, and we have almost no understanding of what it means to be adopted by him. To be considered his, his child, his son, his daughter. And, and do you realize there's a huge difference between those two things? So if we understand the gospel exclusively in terms of, of forgiveness of sins without actually realizing and being able to enjoy and appreciate the fact that God's actually become our father. We don't have a strong understanding of the gospel. We have a lopsided gospel. 
We're not just forgiven sinners, Paul says. We're actually adopted children. Also adopted children. Two very important realities, and yet two very distinct realities. Now, what do we mean by that? Here's maybe a way that we can help imagine that. Imagine for a second that the president pardons a convicted murderer on death row. And you can imagine if you're that person, you're relieved because your life's been spared and you're able to go about your life. But stop and think about that for a second. Just because this person's received a presidential pardon, would any of us, would any of us think that that person has the right to just walk into the White House whenever he or she wants? No. Of course we don't. And what do we think would happen if that person tried to walk into the White House? they'd probably be shot. Think about that. There's a difference there, isn't there, between legal forgiveness on one hand and a relationship. They're two very distinct things. But now, imagine if you could that not only the president pardons that murder, but then he actually decides, and, and something that shocks the world, they're talking about it every day on, on CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, he actually decides to adopt that murderer as his own son. And so he says, look, I don't just forgive you, I want you to be in my family. I want you to go pack your things. And then he orders the Secret Service to go to that person's house and to pick up their stuff and to move it into the White House, to presidential residence. That's what's going on in the gospel, Paul says. We're not only forgiven, but we've actually become God's children. Or to put it in in more theological terms, the gospel is not just about justification, forgiveness. It's equally about adoption. And someone who does an amazing job of explaining that is J.I. Packer. Many of you have heard of him. He's a well-known Anglican clergyman and theologian. This book, Knowing God, was a classic for the last couple decades, and we'd love to encourage you to to check it out. It's amazing. There's a great chapter in here, I believe it's chapter 19, on this idea, uh, what you might also call sonship. And let's, would you put this quote from Packer up behind me here? Uh, This is such an amazing quote. Let's read this together. He's talking uh, at the beginning here about justification. But contrast this justification now with adoption. Listen to this. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness, affection, and generosity are at the heart of the relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is a greater. You see what Packer's saying there? Forgiveness is amazing. Forgiveness is amazing. It's one thing. But adoption, having God adopt you, is a far more personal and a far more intimate thing. And what that means is that when God looks at us, when he sees someone he, he sees someone that he delights in. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't see anybody else when he looks at you if you're in Christ. He doesn't see an employee. He doesn't see an indentured servant. You know, he doesn't see that like an in-law that he's kind of stuck with for life, that he's got to put up with. 
You know, some of us here, if we're honest, don't we sometimes feel like that's how God views us? We feel like he's kind of, he's tolerating us. He's forgiven us, but he's, he's putting up with us. But Paul's saying, that's not how he sees you. When he looks at you, he sees a son. Or he sees a daughter. You know, maybe, maybe like me, you've had the privilege of uh, having friends adopt a new little baby. And think, think about the first time that you saw your friends holding that baby. Think about the expression on their faces. Think about the noise, uh, noises that they made. How did they feel about that baby? You remember how they felt? I can tell you, my friends were gushing over the little girl that they had. And not because of anything particularly special about her. She was beautiful, but she was just like every other baby. But because why? That baby was theirs. And if we're Christians here this morning, if if we're someone here this morning that identifies ourselves as being in Christ, who's been united with him through faith, because we've put him on, we can be assured That's exactly the way that God feels about us. And this is so important. Not just when we feel good about ourselves. Not just when we think that we've done nice Christian things like um, read your Bible or pray or, or go to church or memorize scripture, whatever you do. Even at our worst. We haven't only been forgiven. We've been brought into his family. We're adopted children. That's our second point this morning. You know, I'm well aware as we close this morning, there's, there's some of us here here thinking, okay, okay. You know, you've, you've been emphasizing this again and again. I can get, I think I can get my mind around that. But I'm still struggling to figure out where the rubber meets the road here. You want to know where the rubber meets the road? Listen carefully. It doesn't matter who you are here this morning. Every one of us is wrestling with this question of who am I? And you've probably, in some ways, unconsciously asked it or answered it between the time that you got out of bed and the time that you sat down in that seat. And there's three ways that we can answer that question. So option one, we can let other people answer it for us. You know, maybe the other kids at school the other middle schoolers, the other high schoolers, maybe the people that we work with, you know, the parents of our kids' friends, uh, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, maybe even a spouse. We can let other people answer it for us. But then think about what we've done. We've actually given the people around us, many of whom are almost complete strangers that don't know us at all, complete and total power over us, haven't we? Because we're always looking for their approval. We're always looking to please them, to try to to earn really their praise. And you know how that feels? That's exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting. And you want to know what the most insidious part about doing that is? It's never enough. It's never enough, is it? That's option one. Then there's option two. We don't have uh, other people answer it for us. We actually let ourselves answer it. And we can say to ourselves, you know, I don't care what other people think about me. I'm, I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. But the problem that this is actually a lose-lose, isn't it? We, we, we always wrestle with either self-doubt or we become prideful. You know, we always 
think I, either, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to be a good enough parent, or I'm never going to be enough husband, or I'm never going to be a good enough wife. Or we, we start to live into those what ifs. Oh, if, you know, uh, or if onlys. If only I, I was making the same amount of money as that person. If only I got that promotion. If only I was 10 pounds lighter. And we just get swallowed up in our insecurities. Or, on the other hand, we, we don't get riddled with anxiety, but we, we get prideful. We become arrogant. We, and we become so arrogant, so self-assured that we're unwilling to acknowledge our shortcomings that everybody else around us can see, except us. Because if we did allow ourselves to see them, it would crush us. It would crush us. And no one wants to live like that either. That's option two. Or, we can go with the best option. Option three. And we don't, we don't allow other people to answer that question for us. We don't allow ourselves to answer that question. But we put our ears to the mouth of the one person that has the right to answer it. We let God answer it. And when we do, Paul says, we couldn't feel any more peace. We couldn't feel any more secure. Who am I? I'm a Christian. I'm in Christ. I'm an adopted child of God. I'm, I'm a loved son. I'm a loved daughter. I'm part of his family. And he wants me to call him dad. Have you ever met people like that? Have you ever met Christians that live like that? You probably wouldn't forget it if you've ever met someone like that. And you know why? Because people like that are like no one else you ever meet. They're incredibly healthy people. They're almost like walking paradoxes. And how's that? Because on one hand, they're, they're so confident. They're so taken by God's love for them. And they're so grounded in it that they're bold and they're courageous, and they're not afraid to take risks, and they're incredibly comfortable in their own skin. They never look like they're out to prove themselves. But they're not just confident. And what's really weird is at the same time, they're not just secure, but they're remarkably humble. They're humble people. They don't get defensive, and they're, they're not crushed by criticism. They actually invite criticism. They ask people to give criticism. And how are they able to do that? Because they're not looking for other people to make them feel whole. They already are whole. Why? Because they know that they're loved by the God of the universe. He said that you're mine. You want to learn to live like that? You want, you want to learn to be a person like that? Learn to call God by the name that he's been asking you to call him all along. Call him Abba. Call him Dad. Call him Father. Let's pray. Father, it is just mind-blowing that you would not only forgive us, but then you would bring us into your family and insist that we call you Father. Please, would you help every one of us here, those of us who have decided to follow you, be convinced of how amazing that is 
and how unique, how secure we can feel in you and, and free us from seeking to answer this question of who we are in any other way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stop.